Weekends like this, it gives us an opportunity, like I said, to reminisce, to think back. It's kind of fun to look back in the past to say, wow, look how far we've come. Look at where we've been, look at where we are now, and look how much we've moved, but it also gives us a good reminder of, look how much further we have to go. See, anytime you say that one word, the word past, anytime you say that word, it deals and brings up just a bunch of different emotions. Right? When I say the word past, maybe that brings you to a place of not so good history and not so good past. Maybe it brings up some really good history and good memories and a good past, but it brings things up, doesn't it? So to kind of help with that, I decided to do some digging into some people's past this last week. Don't worry, it's none of y'all. You guys are safe. I did not go diving into your social media accounts, at least not yet. Uh, but what I did do is I took a deep dive into the history of some of my staff that are, are here at church. So I want to just show you a couple pictures that really bring to light the past and history of some of our staff members. All right, so here's our first one. There it is, none other than worship leader Patrick Bass rocking the Snoopy shirt and the bowl cut. You know why they call it a bowl cut, right? put a bowl on your head and cut around it. Yeah, there you go. You look great, man. Bringing it back from the past. Here's our next one. This is our kids director. Kids director, Rachel Hip, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so three services in a row. This is the third one. Three services in a row. That has been the same response at 8, 15, 9, 30, and 11. You start with the aw and you all end, end laughing. That's how it's gone. And I, I think the reason for that is like, oh yeah, you know, like cute baby picture, but what is she wearing? Is it a onesie? Is it PJs? There's lace? What, like, what is going on there? But that was, that was the era, wasn't it? Some of you parents are like, I dressed my kid like that too. All right, here's another one. This one is our student ministry director, Jacob Evans. And this one's not too, too far in the past, but give it up for junior prom, ladies and gentlemen. For Mr. Jacob Evans, two things to point out. He's all the way on my right on this side. Two things to point out. He had braces in this picture and hair in this picture. Don't tell him I said that. He can probably hear me right now. All right, now I would be a bad person, terrible leader, if I just picked on all my staff and I didn't show you one of mine. So here you go, see if you can pick me out. Blast from the past, 1995, the young Brian Haas. I'll give you a hint. Jean shorts with the tucked in white t-shirt, thank you very much. Nailed it. Right, you know what that feels like. And, and there's always mixed emotions when you start bringing up your past. There is kind of that, oh, that was fun. And then like, I'm super embarrassed. Why are we talking about this right now? Right, the past brings up tons of different emotions. Our past, whether it's full of successes and achievements, victories, or whether it's full of the sins and the mistakes and the problems and the trials and the abuses that we've gone through, both, both have a lot to do in our future today, both. Now, Andy Stanley said it great, and I couldn't say it any better, that our past does not determine our future. That's true. However, we would all agree that our past persuades our future. And what we are doing today, the life that you're living today, has been persuaded, for good or for worse, because of our past. So let's just get on the same page when we're talking about our past, because again, we could go around, talk about our past, but none of you wanna do that, I get. But that brings up a lot of these emotions, so let's talk about it for a second. Level the playing field. We all have a past. Can we agree on that? Nod your head if you agree with me. Good. We all have a past, and God knows all of our past. 
We all have a past and God knows everything about our past. And that makes some of us quite a bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because he knows about the victories and the successes, the achievements, of course. And he also knows about the things we don't want anybody else to know about. He knows about the difficulties. He knows about the struggles, the trials. He knows about the addictions. He knows about the affairs. He knows about the secrets. He knows about the words that have been spoken. He knows about the words you thought about speaking. He knows the condition of your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows about the cheating and the lying and the stealing. We can go on and on and on and on and he knows it all. So we all have a past. He knows it all. But the greatest news you're gonna hear this morning is in Christ, he forgives it all too. Paul tells us in Romans, you get a bunch of great, great hope out of Paul's letter to the early church of Rome. And we're told that even when we were sinners, even while we were still in the midst of our past and the baggage and all the junk in our history, even in the midst of that, while we were still sinners, we're told Christ died for us. Before we asked for help, before we changed a thing, before we even tried to earn anything, which we can't do, he said, no, no, I love you so much, I'm gonna forgive you before you even ask to be forgiven. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're told that when we are in Christ Jesus, when we accept him into our lives, we're told that there is now no more condemnation. So yes, we all have a past and yes, he knows it all, but he does not hold it against us if we are in him. We're not condemned because of our past anymore. We looked at this last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We're told that if you are in Christ, if you accept what Jesus has given you, that grace, that love, that forgiveness, when we accept it, we're given this new life a brand new life. Paul says that the old is gone and the new has come. The new is here. We are a new creation given a new life that is no longer determined or influenced by our past. We have a new life. So yes, we all have a past. He knows it all. But when we say yes to Jesus, he forgives it all as well. Now, good thing to keep in mind here, forgiveness is not achieved, it's not something you earn and deserve, you work towards gaining forgiveness. No, forgiveness is received, it's given, we just have to say yes to it and accept it, not achieved and earned. That's why it's important that in our life at some point, whether it's today, for you maybe for the first time, you say, man, I, I recognize I need Jesus in my life and I'm saying yes and that's the moment of that new life like 2 Corinthians tells us. The moment you say yes to Jesus, that forgiveness of the past and you're given that whole new life. Now here's the struggle. So that's kind of getting us all on the same page. Here's the struggle that, that I think we all wrestle with. Here's the tension we need to deal with this morning. Is if you're a believer, then that means your past is forgiven. You're given new life. Here's the problem. Here's the tension. Here's the difficulty. Is yes, I have a new life. I still am very much aware of my past. I have a new life. But I remember very clearly the, the mess ups and the sins and the struggles of my past. So how do I live a new life with very good memories of my past? Does that tension hit home with you? I have this new life and I wanna live the way Jesus calls me to and I wanna have that hope and, and that kind of new life, that life abundant that we hear people talk about. I wanna live in that way. But I'm still very much aware I have not been able to forget my past. Have you ever had tell, somebody tell you, forget your past? Yeah, that doesn't work <laughs> at all. Because you have, a, like me, a very good memory of that history, of that past. So how do we deal with it? Here's another way of asking that question. 
When you look into your past, as we're bringing up all that junk and garbage and baggage of your past, you're welcome, you can thank me later. It'd be a great lunch conversation between you and those that came to church today. When you think of all that history and all that past, what, what do you put more weight on? What, what gets more attention? What you have done in your past or what God has done in your past? Which one carries more weight for you? What you have done in your past or what God has done in your past? That's how we're gonna wrestle with this. I have a new life if I'm in Jesus, but I still remember my past. How do I live a new life when I'm still remembering? Paul's gonna help us kind of wrestle with that and figure out how to walk through that. If you have your Bibles, head over to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three, we're gonna get great insight into how Paul handled this. Now, a couple of things to help you with context. We're just gonna look at a small section of it. We'd be here all day if you wanted me to go through all of chapter three. So, homework for you this week, read all of Philippians chapter three on your own. I'm gonna talk about a piece of it. I want you to see it fully in context. So at some point between today and next Sunday, read Philippians chapter three. Because where we're gonna pick it up, he's gonna get to the, here's what I do with that part. And basically, just to help you give, get the bottom line, what Paul has been talking about is what he hopes to get one day. He's talking about the life that he'll have when he finally meets Jesus and he finally gets to heaven and, and when the past really is completely gone, not just forgiven, but he's no longer held back at all by it. Here's the life that I want. He's talking about the future of that life and then he says very plainly, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. So here's where we'll pick it up. Philippians chapter three, starting in verse 12. Paul's words as he's wrestling with this new life, but also the memory of a past. Here's what he says, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this. The this is the earlier parts of chapter three, which is why you need to go back and read it. This is that perfection, that completeness in Christ, which he has not gained completely yet. So not that I've already obtained all of this. I'm not perfect. I've not gotten it all figured out. It says, not that I've obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Does that make sense so far? He says, I don't have it completely figured out. I'm not perfect, but here's what I'm doing right now. Verse 13, he goes on. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Now, if the Apostle Paul, one of the most influential people of the early church, makes a comment that says, but the one thing I do, our ears should perk up. Can we agree on that? <laughs> when Paul says, I don't have it all figured out, I'm not there yet myself, I'm not perfect, but here's one thing I do, we should all be like, okay, take note, here we go. Tell us what to do, Paul. Paul says this, if I'm gonna do one thing, but the one thing I do, and he kind of breaks up into three parts, but it's one idea. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, understand Paul had quite the history himself. If you know anything about Paul's story, you know that he had both sides, both extremes in his past. He had the success side, achieved side. He himself called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew of all Jews. All these other religious leaders looked up to Paul. He had in that world, in that culture, and in that area of religiosity, he said, I was about as great as it could be said, everyone wanted to be like me or follow me as a Pharisee, as a religious leader. He had the achievement, he had the success, he had the status, he had the clout, he had the knowledge, he followed the law, he was it. He had the success in his past. Now the other side, he also dealt with the other extreme because that success led him to persecuting the church. 
where he now was a murderer, persecuting and killing Christians in the early church. So he lived in two extremes and they all came together when Jesus met him on a road and said, look, I know you've got a colorful history. We're gonna change you, we're gonna turn you around and now you're gonna start planting churches and leading the early church. So how did he deal with these two extremes in his past of success and sin in his past, in his history? And yet here he is moving forward saying, I don't have it all figured out yet, but I'm at least moving forward and doing what God's called me to do. See, Paul had this great idea on how to live this new life, even when you have a very good memory of your past. And he started, like I said, he broke it up into three areas, but that first part speaks to what we do with our past. Now he says here, forgetting your past. Now if you, can, if you actually look at the word, it's not truly like forget, like, oh, it's not in my memory anymore. The word there, forget, is more like we would use the word for neglect. It's I'm neglecting it. I'm not paying much attention to it. Yes, I'm very aware that it's there, but I'm not, I'm not giving it much credit. I don't go there very often. I'm not holding closely to it. And that's important for us to understand, again, the difference between neglect and forget, but also his charge to us to neglect what's behind me. If you think of it like this, if your life, which we all know is, is not always that easy, so if you're trying to navigate through life, if you're trying to walk through life, step by step, it gets difficult. And the importance of neglecting our past is because if you have a history of failure, if you have a past of failure where you try walking through life and then you fall off, so then you're like, well, okay, get back up, let's do it again. You start walking through life and you make mistakes again, you fall back off. And you try again and again, and failure after failure after failure after failure, you start, you start acting differently as you walk through life, don't you? Those past failures start to persuade and influence your future decisions. So much, in fact, if you fail enough, you make enough mistakes, you sin enough in your past, that is gonna carry with you and it's gonna persuade you and influence you in your future. Meaning, I failed before, I haven't failed yet, but I'm probably gonna fail. I, I've been in this space before, I've been in this place before, I'm probably gonna fail. I haven't failed yet, but I'm probably gonna fail sometime soon, so I'm gonna just step away right now while I still can. You see what happens? The more often we fail, when we hold on to those past failures in our history, it causes us to quit. It persuades us to quit because we get scared, which makes sense. You fall off a balance beam enough times, you're gonna be a little bit more cautious and nervous when you get back up. And you get back up and you're like, ah, I've been here before, I don't wanna get hurt like I did last time, I'm out. We get afraid. And because of our failures, the fear sneaks into our future. And we start to say, forget it, I don't wanna have anything to do with this because I've been here, I've messed up too many times, I know where this is going, it's not gonna work out. I can't handle this. I haven't been able to handle it before. So instead of trying to push through, we self-elect and we say, no, no, I don't have anything to do with it. And we just step away and we quit. The other thing we do when we hold on to those past failures, maybe it doesn't cause you to quit just yet, but what you get is you get very timid, again, because of that fear. You failed so many times, you made so many mistakes, you've got so much baggage you're still holding on to. You're like, um, I, I know I can't do this because I haven't been able to do this before and it's getting really shaky right now. So what we do is we get very timid and we start to do this. There we go. And we just walk through life, clinging and holding on to dear life. There we go. And we stay super comfortable and we don't let ourselves take any risk. 
We don't take any leaps of faith or steps of faith because, well, that's, that's probably not gonna end very well, so we just hold on for dear life, hoping we don't fall off like we've done so many other times. This is a terrible way to live, isn't it? <laughs> this is not, once again, that new life that, do you think this is what Jesus meant when he said, I'm giving you new life? Just hold on real tight and don't let go and don't move. <laughs> no, of course not. No, the fear that we have because of our past failures it shows up in your future. It shows up in your life every single day, either by quitting and bowing out or becoming super timid and cautious. Now, there's a difference between faithful and foolish. We can talk about that another time. But to say, I can't move. I'm paralyzed by my fear. I'm paralyzed because of my past. That's not the new life that Jesus intended us to have. When he said, I've forgiven you of your sins. That's not the new life he intended for. Let me say this to you. Yes, we all have a past. Yes, God knows it all. Yes, if you're in Jesus, it's all forgiven. So, the failures in your past, hear this, please. The failures in your past was an event, not you, not a person. Failure is not a person. Failure is something that happens. It's not you. Sure, you were either part of the failure or caused the failure or at least witnessed the failure. No doubt you had a part in it in some way, but it is not you. You are not a failure. You are a child of God who desperately wants you to experience this new life that he has given you because of the cross. So that's what happens when we hold on to those past failures, those past sins, those past mistakes. All that baggage, it, it comes out in fear. Fear of either saying, nah, I'm not gonna have anything to do with it, or fear and we just hold on to dear life and we don't move at all. Now let's talk about the other side though. Remember Paul had two sides of his history, the, the murderous side, the sinful side, and then also the achievement success side. Here's what happens there. When you achieve much, when you succeed a lot in life and in your past, it gives us a different perspective. It still influence and influences and persuades us in our future to the point where we, we kind of get going and then we stop and we look back and it's like, well, I already did it. I'm good. What else you got? Right, it's like the salesman that made his quote in the first quarter and says, and I'm done. I'm done for the next several months. Some of you are like, I have been to church every single Sunday this entire year. I'm good until Easter. I don't need to come back. Brian just says the same thing every single week. Been there, done that, I'm good. Right, what happens when we hold too tightly to our past successes and achievements is it causes us to actually slow down and eventually stop and sit down. Because we say, well, I've already done it. I've already, it's taken care of. I'm good. We're set. Once again, that's not the new life that Jesus intended for. There's no movement here. So whether you have, and we all probably could apply both, where man, there's some things I'm really proud of in my past. There's also some things I'm really ashamed of in my past. Both influence what you do today, if you allow it to. So that's why Paul says, neglect the past. When you step back up in life and you start walking through life, what you can't do is move this way, but look backwards. It's not gonna end well. No, you neglect the past. I'm not gonna hold tightly to the past. I'm not gonna give much attention to the past. Sure, I'm very aware that it's there, but I'm going to neglect it and not think much about it. We neglect 
the past. Paul talks a little bit about his past and kind of sums it all up. Listen to how he talks about his past and everything that he gained, everything that he worked for, and everything that he did, good or bad, right or wrong. Philippians chapter three, so you'll read this as you go through it this week. Verse eight, here's what Paul says. He says, what is more, I consider everything, say everything, everything. Can you imagine what everything is? If you were to say that statement, I consider everything, man, what goes into everything for you? The good, the bad, the ugly, the proud, the shameful, he says, but I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Well, let that sink in. Everything, say it one more time, everything. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So all the things that are in my past, everything in my past, I neglect them because they're like garbage because gaining Christ is so much more important. And you're gonna have a hard time moving towards Jesus still holding on to your past. You're aware of it, it's there. It's not gonna come out of your memory very easily, if at all. But that doesn't mean you have to feed it. That doesn't mean you have to give it weight. That doesn't mean you have to hold on to it. So he says, neglect your past. Neglect what's behind you. Perry Noble said this a little bit differently. I love this, this quote. He said, if you don't let your past die, it won't let you. If you don't let your past die, it won't let you live. I couldn't agree more. So let's ask that question. How do we let our past die? How do we neglect our past so, so we don't feed it, so we don't pay attention to it? How do we do that easier said than done? I get it. The easiest way to neglect and to let your past die is to just simply starve your past. Let me help you understand how to do that a little bit better. Uh, prior to Becky and I having kids, uh, we lived in an apartment complex, got to know another couple in that apartment complex, even worked with them. Great couple, good family. We became really good friends, same age, neither of us had kids, but they had a fish. And they were the couple that followed that progression of we get married, we get a plant, we get a fish, we get a dog, and then we'll talk about having kids. Becky and I just went from like married, well, like we killed a bunch of plants and stuff and said, forget it, let's just wait till we have kids and hopefully we don't like mess them up. <laughs> Jury's still out on that one. So these friends of ours, they had this fish named Red, and I'm not kidding, because they had no kids and they're on this like progression to having kids, but the fish had to come first, this fish was everything to them. So they, they lived where we were at, but they had family out of town, so they said, hey, as we leave over Thanksgiving, would you watch our fish for us and keep an eye on our apartment? I'm like, yes, of course, you know where this is going. <laughs> yep, some of you are pretty insightful. So I said, yes, of course, how hard could it be to take care of this one little fish? So they gave us the instructions and a key to the apartment and she said, we'll be back in a week, thanks so much. I said, yeah, sure. So Becky and I went, went on with our happy lives. About three days later, she looks at me and says, did you feed the fish? And I'm like, no, did you feed the fish? She says, no. So we took off over to their apartment, we opened the door, we go in and this poor little fish not looking so good. I'm like, you can make it, man, hang in there. So we're feeding him and we're trying to like pray over him and we lay hands on him and we're doing all this stuff to help heal this fish. Lord Jesus, I know that you can move mountains and you can also heal people. You have resurrected from the dead, so would you please not make me one to kill this fish? Didn't work. About a day or two later of him floundering around, he finally went belly up. 
So happened the day he died, the day the fish died was Thanksgiving day. Yeah. So I called my buddy, his name was Seth, and I said, Seth, I don't know how else to tell you this, but I unintentionally killed your fish. And he was okay with it, mind you. He was all right. He was like, well, you know, it happens. His wife, on the other hand, did not go over so well. Let's just say they ended up moving out of that apartment complex about a year later. I'm not saying it had to do with the fish, but I'm not saying it helped either necessarily. So Seth and Sammy, if you're watching, rest in peace, Red. <laughs> now I'm not suggesting you do that to your family, your fish, your pets, your kids, to your past, absolutely. Neglect your past, stop feeding it, stop paying attention to it. And if you neglect it long enough, it will die. You're still gonna remember it, but it's not gonna have a hold on you anymore. So the next two things that Paul says here actually speak to how we starve our past, how we actually neglect our past. Again, if there's one thing, here's what he says he does. He forgets what's behind him, he neglects the past, and here's how he does it. Straining towards what is ahead, he says, I press on towards the goal. He uses this phrase, straining toward. We might use this phrase, focusing ahead. So focus on what is ahead of you. We neglect what's behind and we focus on what is ahead. And let me show you what that looks like. Again, you get back in life and you're like, okay, even though I've got my past failures and my past successes and achievements, I'm not going to be held back by those any longer. I'm not gonna be paralyzed by the fear either way. So I'm gonna neglect my past. And here, straining towards, it's not just a word of looking ahead. We make that mistake very often. Or we just say the phrase, well, yeah, just look ahead, pay attention to what's to come. It is so much more than just looking ahead. That phrase, straining towards, has a visual that goes with it that's literally stretching out. It's reaching out. It's straining to get someplace. It can be uncomfortable sometimes too, can't it? Where you're reaching so far and it's not quite there. Remember what Paul said, not that I've obtained it yet. I haven't gotten there yet, but man, I'm reaching for it and I'm straining for it. You can't strain and reach and stretch in one direction if you're still holding on to your past. So the more you strain for what's ahead of you, you're going to intentionally neglect and starve your past. So what's the goal there? What are you straining towards? What's the goal? Again, read through chapter three, but bottom line is that God's not done with you yet. I believe with all my heart that God is not done with me personally yet. Now, what is that gonna look like a year, two years, 10 years down the road? I have no idea, but I know no matter my past, no matter my history, no matter my mistakes or successes, he is not done with me yet. We even read that in, first, in the first chapter of Philippians. He said, no, God's created you and he's been doing a good work in you. And guess what? He's not done with you yet. He's gonna continue the work in you until the day of completion. So he's not done with you yet. It's looking ahead, it's straining ahead, it's reaching ahead, saying, God, I know I've made a lot of mistakes, but God, I, I trust you with my future. God, I know you can still use me. I know you can still use me to do incredible things in your kingdom. God's not done with you yet. So often we get used to this phrase that says, well, God, you can't in my future because of what I've already done in my past. God, you can't use me. God, you can't help me. God, I, you can't even save me. You can't forgive me because of everything that I've done back here. Can I get you to change that around enough that says, no, 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 I can move forward. I can be used. I can be helped because of not what I've done in my past, but because of what God's done in my past. 
I can because of what God has already done. God's not done with you yet. Some of you just need to start there and believe that. If you're wrestling with your past, you, you neglect it, you starve it by saying, okay, God, I'm very aware of my past. But check this, as aware of, you, of the past as you are, are you also that much aware of the grace that he's given you? You see, the more you recognize the depth and darkness of your past, it shows us our desperate need for a savior, does it not? So I look forward, I look ahead and say, yeah, I know I've got junk in my, in my past. I know I've got some baggage. I've got tons of mistakes in my past, but I also recognize, Jesus, that you gave me grace from all of those and you have forgiven me from all those. So I reach forward and I strain forward and I stretch and reach out for where you're leading me because I know you're not done with me yet. So Paul says, forget what's behind, neglect the past, strain and reach towards what is ahead. Now, there's a part that we cannot forget. The last part, will be, it'll be verse 14. But get the visual of this. We're neglecting our past by straining and reaching forward. We're reaching out for that goal to, to be used by him, to become more and more like him. We're not there yet, but we're definitely trying and reaching that direction. And understand what's happening here, physically and with, with our heart spiritually, is we're turning our back to our past. We are focused forward and we're stretching and reaching out, but there's something missing. We're still not moving, are we? Your feet aren't moving. Well, I've got my back to my past and I'm looking forward. That's great. You're still missing the last part. You've got to move your feet. And that's what Paul speaks to in the last verse. Verse 14. After he said, you leave the past behind you, neglect the past, you look forward to what's ahead, focus on what's ahead. Verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal. Ah, now we're talking. Now your feet start moving. Press on, literally the image that goes with that word that Paul used is a hunter chasing a hunted, the hunted. That's the visual of what that word means. We might use the word pursue. We're pursuing, not a what, but a who. We're pursuing Jesus. So yes, we neglect our past. We're not held back by the fears associated with our past anymore. We're not complacent or stagnant based on our successes anymore. We reach and strain forward to become more and more like Christ. And how do we do that? By moving our feet towards Jesus, by pursuing Jesus every step of the way, every decision, every choice along the way. We pursue Jesus today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. If you think back to a time when you were dating, something weird happens when you date. You get your A game on all the time if you're dating. Like, I mean, you could be somebody that doesn't care about how you look, but when you date, all of a sudden it's, I need to go shopping for some new clothes and some new sneakers. It's, I usually don't care what my hair looks like, but as soon as I start dating, like I'm spending hours in the bathroom making sure my hair looks right. You might shower once or twice a week. You start dating, you're showering every day and twice on days you go on a date. <laughs> Things change when you date. Why? Because you're trying to pursue that significant other. You're trying to impress that significant other. You're chasing after someone. The dangers of getting married is you're not dating anymore. So, oh, we're married. I can finally relax and take my foot off the gas and go back to showering like once or twice a month. <laughs> it's been so much work dating that now that we're married, oh, thank goodness, we don't have to put in the effort anymore because you have to love me. You signed it saying you would. You said until death do us part. And your wife's like, yeah, that might happen sooner than you think. <laughs> Something changes, doesn't it? If you're not careful, you gotta be intentional. 
That's why married couples that grow and thrive in a healthy way continue to date beyond dating. In our relationship with Jesus, if we're not careful, we will neglect our past, we will strain for what's ahead, but say, well, he loves me no matter what. I mean, he's forgiven me. I can take my time, I guess. I can, I can slow down a little bit. I don't have to be as overeager. We'll just take it as it comes. It's a dangerous place to be in. We pursue Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with everything about us, everything that we've considered lost. We don't say, no, it's nothing compared to pursuing you, Jesus. Every step of the way. Let me give you a little bit more homework. You're gonna stop coming to church if I give you this much homework every week. All right, so let me put a couple of scriptures up here. I want you to do this. So you got Philippians chapter three, you're gonna read through this week. Here's three other passages to read through at some point that are gonna help give you a picture of what that pursuit can look like. Is this an exhaustive list? By no means, this is a starting point. So let me walk through them with you real quick. Take a picture, that's an easy way to remember these. Galatians chapter five, the verses up there are the fruit of the spirit. That whole love, joy, peace, patience, that whole thing. Those are easy ways to identify next steps in pursuing Jesus to become more like him. When you recognize, I'm missing that whole self-control one, it's a great way to say, all right, I need to become more like Jesus, I need to neglect my past, look ahead, focus on what's ahead, but pursue Jesus by growing in my self-control. That's how you can do that on a daily basis. Second Peter chapter one, about halfway through, Peter gives us a great list of, you wanna know Jesus? You wanna know what he's like? He's like this and gives us a list for us to follow after, step by step. Look through the list and, and ask God, God, where am I lacking? What do I need to, where do I need to pursue you? Matthew chapter five through chapter seven. I know that's a lot of chapters in there. We now call this Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, yeah, you've heard it said, oh, but I'm gonna raise the standard. Here's what you thought, but here's what I'm gonna tell you. Now, does he say that to make you realize how much of a fail you are? You are? No, of course not. He's giving you next steps to pursue him day in and day out with every decision and every choice you get to make every day. He's helping us understand that path of pursuing him. So wherever you find yourself, maybe you're still struggling to get back up. You've had so many failures, you're just like, ah, I'm just not there. Every time I step back up, I just, I don't have it in me. Can I encourage you to, to neglect your past by getting back in, get back in the game, so to speak. Trust him, allow him to speak into your life and resist the temptation to just hold the beam. Don't be afraid. We all have a past. He knows it all and he has forgiven it all for those that are in Christ Jesus. If you've got a bunch of successes in your life and you find yourself kind of walking through life and maybe a little bit complacent, a little bit stagnant, you're good. And can I challenge you? Keep moving, to stretch and to reach for who he desires you to be. He's not done with you yet. You stretch, you reach, you neglect the past, but don't miss the day to day. Because those steps you make every single day lead you to where he wants you to be and who he, des he has desired you to be. Paul says one thing, I can't control my past. I can't change my past. Jesus most certainly can change my future, so here's what I'm doing. Forget what's behind me. I strain towards what's ahead of me, and I press on towards the goal. Paul wrote that when he was somewhere in the beginning and middle stage of his ministry. I wanna read to you out of 2 Timothy where he is on the end of his ministry, almost the end of his life. 
Writing's on the wall, he knows what's coming next. His life is about to be over. I want you to hear him reflect on the life that he's walked. It says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. Here it is, verse seven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know what I love about his reflection there? He says, I finished the race. And I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. Nowhere in there does he says, I won first place. He says, man, I just finished. And it was hard. And I had to fight for it. And I messed up. And I didn't do it right every single time. And I fell off again and again and again, but I kept the faith and I finished well. Can I give you permission to stop trying to win at life? I mean, whose scorecard are you keeping anyway? Who determines what's crushing it and what's not? My prayer for you is you would finish well by neglecting the past, by focusing on what's ahead of you and pursuing Jesus every day. And that way, like Paul, when you get to the end of your life, instead of high five first place, you're gonna hear, do you know, well done, good and faithful servant. So wherever you're at today, man, start moving. Get back up, stand back up, take that next step. Let go of what's behind you. Turn and face and reach out to Jesus in front of you. We all have a past. He knows it all. In Christ Jesus, we are all forgiven. And we are ushered into a new life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the life that you have given us. Not the life that we've deserved, not the life that we've earned, the life that you have intentionally handed over and given us because of what you did on the cross. Jesus, help us to follow you, to become more like you, to become who you desire us to be. And yes, we mess up so many times along the way, but thank God for your grace because you forgive us every step of the way too. Help us to neglect what's behind us, to starve our past. Help us to take those daily next steps with you. And when we fall off, we thank God again for your grace and we keep taking those next steps with you all the while reaching out and straining and reaching and stretching, often uncomfortably, to be with you and to be more like you. Today, we say we follow you. We don't look back, we look ahead. Because you are ours and we are who you say we are. We are no longer failures, we are children of you. In Jesus' name, amen.